This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Merry Christmas. It's great to see you. My name is Chris. I'm the pastor here at Christian Chapel, and we're thrilled that you have joined us for our Christmas Eve celebration and let us be part of yours as well. Um, There are a few aspects. Uh, I don't know. How many of you would consider yourselves traditionalists? Just life in general. You like your traditions. It bothers you when they're not met. Um, So I I think I kind of, depending on the season, can go one way or the other. Christmas Eve, though, I I feel like is one of those traditional type things. And there's some aspects of our Christmas Eve celebration the last couple years that I still haven't become accustomed to yet. So we've added a couple Christmas Eve services. Um, It still feels wrong to me to be at a Christmas Eve service when it's light outside. Uh, I don't don't know about you, but the idea of a candlelight service while the sun is shining just doesn't doesn't go together, right? And and then, um, you know, I've I've lived my whole life in Kansas, Oklahoma, Missouri. It's cold on Christmas Eve, and so the fact that it's like 89 degrees outside right now just feels very uh, kind of off-putting to me. And, And yet, what I've been reminding myself of today is the celebration of the arrival of Jesus is not about all of my traditional boxes being checked. Things might not be exactly as I like it. It might not appear all the way that I would want it to be, and yet the celebration is no less real because Christ has come to everyone, everywhere, in every season, at every time, to all of us who are gathered here in person and online. We're celebrating the arrival of Jesus, and we're celebrating his arrival right here where we are. He's not waiting to show up in some uh, future perfect version of our lives. He's not waiting for you or I to get it together. He's not waiting for all of our Christmas boxes to be opened, all of our traditions to be upheld. He's just showing up to us right here and right now. The season of Advent culminates on Christmas Eve. Advent's a, a very simple word that means arrival. We're looking back at the arrival of Jesus on that first Christmas as an infant. We're also looking forward to the second coming of Christ when he will once again arrive on earth to restore and renew all things. And we're asking ourselves, what does it mean to live in this land in between the two arrivals of Christ? How is the world different because he has come and how do we still long for it to be different because he will come? This year during Advent, we have looked at some of the the unsung heroes of the Christmas story. So if you look at these stars above me, we've talked about how the the big stars, they kind of represent some of the the main characters in the Christmas story, the ones that get a lot of attention, uh, both in our telling of the story, in our nativity scenes, in our Christmas plays and movies, right? The, The big stars in the Christmas story are Mary, the wise men, the shepherds, and then there's some secondary stars that we've talked about. We've talked about the role of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about Joseph's role in his obedience. And, and then kind of out on the edges, there's some of those, those stars on the periphery. They're easy to overlook. They don't get a whole lot of time or attention in the gospel telling of the birth story of Jesus, and yet they're important for us. And we're going to consider one of those tonight when we look at the story of the innkeeper. Now, if you immediately think, I know the story of the innkeeper. He's the one who comes out to Mary and Joseph and tells them, there's no room for you in the end. Um, I hate to burst your bubble, but what you're remembering is probably more from uh, Charles Schultz than from Luke or Matthew, right? And, And so what I mean by that is in the Bible, there's actually no words given to the innkeeper. There's no name given to the innkeeper. In fact, the word innkeeper, that title doesn't even appear. 
But we get it from the story in Luke chapter 2 where Mary and Joseph show up in Bethlehem and they're looking for a room. And in most translations, it says that they find themselves in the stable because there was no room for them in the inn. We'll read that portion of the story tonight. Luke chapter 2, starting in, in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them, or as most of the other translations of that passage will say, there was no room for them in the inn. And so it's, it's from this idea that, that we kind of interpret there's an innkeeper. The Bible doesn't tell us who it is. We don't know if it's a man, if it's a woman, if they're young, if they're old. We don't know if this is a family business. We just know somebody owns an inn and they don't have room for Jesus, so they make room for him, it seems like, in their own stable. And so what we learn from the innkeeper is the importance of making room for Jesus no matter when he shows up or where he shows up. As you read through that birth story in Luke chapter 2, you can see that, that making room for Jesus can be very inconvenient. Now for, for Mary and Joseph, especially Mary, this is a very inconvenient process. So she lives in Nazareth. She's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She deals with all of the rumors. Her, her future husband has a, a visitation from an angel that confirms, no, this it really is from the Lord. This child is the Messiah, the Savior, the King who will sit on the throne of David. And so Joseph is with Mary. He's encouraging her. And then just as she's getting near her due date, there's a decree that goes out from the Roman government that every Jewish person has to return to their ancestral hometown. So Joseph has to pack up Mary and go to Bethlehem. Now, it's, it's not a terribly convenient moment for him to do so. My, my wife and I, we have uh, three kids. They are all um, almost teenagers now. Our youngest, she'll, she'll be there far too soon. Uh, but one of the things, like we're far enough away that when Angie was having our kids, there was no such thing as like a birth plan. And I don't know, I, I've heard more about those recently. Our, our plan, uh, our birth plan was to go to the hospital and give birth. That was like that was the extent of our planning. And, and yet when I've talked to some of our new moms, especially around Christian Chapel, they'll tell me about their birth plans of like, no, it's going to be here and this is going to be the temperature of the room and, and uh, you know, we're going to arrive at this time and the baby's going to be born at this time and, and sometimes it's going to be in a water tank and that's weird. And, you know, yeah, like they, they tell and I just smile and nod, right? Uh-huh, 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 that's cool. Then they tell you, and this is who's allowed to be in the room and more importantly, this is who's not allowed to be in the room, right? And, and, and they've got it all planned out and all ironed out. And typically, what I find in those conversations is it's always first-time moms that have the most detailed plans. Because every mom who's had at least one baby knows they don't care about your plans, right? That baby's going to show up when they want and how they want. And you might think you had it all planned out, but you forgot to tell them. And so they might turn themselves around sideways. They might do all kinds of things to disrupt your plans, which is really good training for parenthood because that's what they'll do for the rest of their life, right? You've got plans. They just delight in exploding them. Some of you have a plan tomorrow of what Christmas is going to look like. Just give it up, right? If you've got kids, it's going to be different because it's on their schedule, not yours. And for Mary and Joseph, can you imagine Mary's response when Joseph comes and says, Mary, I know you're about to give birth. 
How about an 80 mile hike to Bethlehem? You up for that? No? Okay, I'll get you a donkey. Right? We, don't, we don't know exactly how it goes, but at some point it, it can't really go well. And then they get to Bethlehem. Again, that Luke doesn't tell us how near Mary is to delivery, but we assume she's fairly close when they show up in Bethlehem, so close that they don't have time to find proper lodging. Now, there's a, a census that has went out requiring all the Jews to go back to their hometowns, and so Bethlehem, this little town, becomes very full as all the people who've moved away come back. And as they're coming back, Joseph, this is where his family is from, so he would have had some extended family. He probably went to them first to see, hey, can, can Mary and I stay with you? Right? He lives 80 miles away. There's no way he can call or text or RSVP with anyone. So he just shows up and he, he most likely goes house to house trying to find a place for his very pregnant wife carrying the Savior of the world. And there is not a moment of this that is convenient for Joseph. And finally, after exhausting all of their family options, they show up at the, the hostel. The little inn for travelers, it wouldn't have been very big, probably only a few rooms. They knock on the door, they, they probably talk to the innkeeper, he looks out, he can see Mary is very pregnant, Joseph and Mary are young, he probably has some empathy towards them, he probably understands the hospitality expectations of his culture, and yet he knows there's not really anything he can do, right, because the, the innkeeper, his rooms are full. He doesn't have any space, like this, this is the first Christmas rush, where somebody who doesn't plan shows up and there's no room for them. And so his response to Joseph and Mary seems to be one of, well, I can't give you a room, but I can at least find a place for you. And so he takes them over and he settles them in a stable. And so it's not just an inconvenient time for Mary and Joseph. It's not just inconvenient for the innkeeper, but they ultimately settle in a very inconvenient place. We have, I think, uh, kind of romantic notions of what that stable would have looked like. Some of you probably have uh, nativity scenes in your house as decorations or on your yard, and the stable is very well kept, right? And the, the, the cattle and the sheep and the goats, they stay where you put them, right? And yet, if you have any experience being on a farm at all, you know you can't housebreak a cow, Right? You can't housebreak sheep or goats. This is not your dog or cat that crawls in beds with you and sleeps at night. It's nothing at all like that. Stables, places where animals live, are smelly, gross, and disgusting. They go where they stand. And so Mary walks around with Joseph all over Bethlehem searching for a place. They finally find a spot, and it's not at all probably what she had thought it would be. Instead of the sur being surrounded by family and friends, instead of mentors to guide her through this process, she's alone. She's in kind of a common space that anyone could come into. And it's in this space that the Savior of the world is born. And yet, what we learn from the innkeeper is that even when we can't give Jesus our best, if we will just make a little bit of room for him, he really can change the world. And so the innkeeper says, well, here's what we have. You can use it. And, and they go in and they give birth to Jesus. And from that space, he enters the world to change the world. And imagine with me, if, if everyone in Bethlehem had known who Jesus was and what he was going to do, everyone would have thrown open their doors for him. The wealthy, the influential, the, the, the poor and the overlooked, everyone would have said, please, Mary, please, Joseph, come into our house. Take our room. Take the best that we have. But no one knew, so no one cared, so no one acted, and Jesus was born in a stable. And then, then just imagine for a moment you're in Israel, and it's, it's about 40 years after that night in Bethlehem. 
And Jesus is crucified. He's been resurrected. He's ascended into heaven. This growing Jesus movement is thriving all over the nation. And you happen to be traveling through Bethlehem, and you decide, I want to go see the spot where Jesus is born. So you talk to people, you track down the spot, you make it to the inn, and maybe the innkeeper's still alive. Most likely he's not. It would be his kids or grandkids who are running it. And, and you ask them, can you show us where Jesus was born? And they take you not to the best room, but they take you to this little corner of the stable. And maybe by this point they've cleaned it up because you're not the first person to come and ask about it. And they take you over to it, and, and with no shame at all, they show you this is the space. This is the spot. This is where Mary lay. This is where Joseph stood. This is the road that the shepherds came down. And from that space, everything is different. Why? Because from that space, the king of the world entered into the world. It's the first space where people encountered the incarnation of God. It's the space where everything else flows from. And, and by this point, you would have heard the stories of the multitudes who were fed and those who were blind who'd given sight, the deaf who were given the ability to hear again. You would have heard the story of him raising Lazarus from the dead, the story of Jesus' own crucifixion and resurrection. You would know the stories of the disciples who are now going around the countryside, preaching in the name of Jesus, healing and driving out demons. You would see that no matter how much they're persecuted, it continues to thrive. And you would stand there in awe in Bethlehem and think, how could all of that start here? And it's such a beautiful reminder to us that the king of the world doesn't come into royalty, but he comes into the lowly, the humble, stable. And if we will continue to just give him the tiniest bit of space in our life, he still can change everything for us. And yet even as we consider that during Christmas, we have a lot of reasons why it's not really a good time for us to make room for Jesus. Right, perhaps like the innkeeper, you think, I can't make room for Jesus because I'm too busy. There's, just, there's too much stuff going on in my life right now. And, and this Christmas season that is supposed to be really joyful and a time of celebration and a time of friends and family, for a lot of us, it winds up being a time of stress. You run from one commitment to another. You're trying to remember even tonight, did I get gifts for everyone I was supposed to get gifts to? You're searching back through old text threads with your siblings to make sure you got it for the right niece or the right nephew, or maybe that was just me this afternoon. Right? You're texting people, figuring out, are you coming to Christmas, or do I have to mail your present later? Can I cash up you for my nephew because I didn't get him anything? You're doing all of these things and more. You're figuring out travel plans, food plans, party plans, all of these things. And then on top of that, for some of us, it's just the, the general stress of life and the end of the year. All of it compiles, and the thought of making room for Jesus, you think, I can't even make room for myself. And yet the invitation, the model of the innkeeper is, I, it might not be convenient, it might not be the time you planned. It might require a little effort on your part, but if you will just make the tiniest space for him. That's what a Christmas Eve service is all about. It's a time for us to stop, to slow down, and to remember in the midst of the rush and the busyness, there is a deeper significance and a deeper meaning to everything that we do. All of the decorations, all of the gifts, all of the time together, all is meant to point us to the power and the presence of Christ with us in these moments. The innkeeper, when he takes Mary and Joseph to the stable, it's also a reminder to us that we can make room for Jesus in the messiness of our lives. Most of us would probably prefer to come to Jesus like the wise men, wearing our best, bringing nice gifts, having a, an appointed time to go, being told now it's time to go show up. And, and yet, most of us, that's not our experience. Jesus often shows up in our messy moments, the moments that we don't want him to see, the moments we're ashamed of, when life is kind of a disaster, 
when everything is, is kind of going in the wrong direction, Jesus shows up, and there can be a temptation when he shows up to be like, hey, just hang on a minute. Let me get some of this cleaned up. Let me get some of this sorted out. And yet again, the innkeeper models for us, just give Jesus what you have. And if a stable is the most accurate description of your life tonight, stinky, smelly, messy, disastrous, the good news is Jesus coming to you. He's coming right into the middle of it, and he's not coming to judge. He's not coming to condemn. He's not coming to shame. He's coming to say, this is exactly why I came. The king of the world comes into a mess, and throughout his ministry, he constantly moves towards the mess to remind us that he is the king who comes to bring peace to our chaos. He is the king who comes to rebuild what sin has destroyed. He's not waiting for you to get it together, but he's coming down to you right in the middle of your most disastrous moments. And then the last thing that we remember, especially on Christmas Eve, is that we can make room for Jesus in our darkness. We conclude every Christmas Eve with candle lighting at Christian Chapel. So if you, if you have your candle, I want to ask you to grab that and just look at it as you hold it for a moment. And I want to encourage you to think of that candle as a representation of whatever the darkness might be in your life. Maybe it's actions that you're ashamed of. Maybe it's an addiction you can't kick. Maybe it's something that has been done to you or that you've done to others. Maybe it's a season of loss and grief, a season of depression. Maybe you're suffering through the, the choices of other people. Maybe you're hurting because of the state of your world right now. Maybe it's problems at work or problems at home. I don't know what it is, but I know for all of us, there's some form of darkness that we deal with. And again, that the message of Christmas is that Jesus comes to be the light that dawns on those living in the land of deep darkness. And so he comes to us and he speaks clearly and he comes to shine his light, not after we've cleaned it all up, but right here and right now. And so as you hold that candle and I hold mine, we all sit here with the acknowledgement of we have absolutely no ability to make that candle burn. There's no way that we can give light to it. We're all waiting. I'm waiting to light it off of this one. You're waiting to light it off of mine or one of our other pastors or the person sitting next to you. And again, it just reminds us on Christmas that Jesus comes not because we create our own light, but he, but he comes precisely because we cannot create our own light. Because we live in darkness, because we're slaves to sin, because we're bound by every form of addiction and destruction, Jesus shows up in our life. And he shows up not to condemn or to shame, but to bring freedom and joy. So as we light our candles tonight, it's not just another Christmas tradition, but it is a way that we all participate in the message of Christmas. Light has come, and life will never be the same. And so whatever your darkness might be, my prayer is that as you light that candle, the Holy Spirit speaks very clearly to you that Christ is showing up in your life, he's showing up in your circumstance, and he's shining light in the darkness. And then as you take that light and you share it with the person next to you, my prayer is that you remember what Jesus has done for you, he wants to do through you. He wants to bring light to your life and then he wants to use you to share that light with others. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Jesus, we, we come to you tonight thankful that you are the God who shows up in every season and situation. Lord, I thank you that you know each person in the room, each person who's with us online. You know the situations of our life. You know the darkness that we're facing and the problems that we're fighting. And Lord, we ask tonight 
that you would come and be the light of our world. That you would come and break every chain of sin and addiction. That you would bring freedom from bondage and oppression. And Lord, that you would help us know we can make just a little bit of room for you. And from that space in our heart, you can change every part of our world. Lord, this is what we're asking. This is what we believe is possible because of your arrival. And so we're asking once again, may your light shine in darkness. And may we embrace it and share it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.